Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida. Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, it's a family show. It's just me and Matthew. Matthew's already on the Zoom call. And Why do you uh, say that with surprise in your voice? There's, there's no surprise in my voice. Like Matthew's actually on time, like what? it sounded like you no, said. This loser is actually finally here. <laughs> I was trying to be playful, like he's already here, meaning meaning I'm too lazy to record a separate bumper. We're just going to jump right on in here. So, all right. Matthew is already on the call. David, if I may, I feel like we need to start this this episode by saying something loud and clear. Do it. I feel like it needs to be said how much we love Cloris Leachman. Yes. She's we understand she's new to the show. It's a big shakeup to have her on the show. We have no problem with how she's acting. We have a problem with writers that are wasting a legend. And yes, it's too big of a term to refer to her as that even in 1986. I think by even by 1986, she was Cloris fucking Leachman. Yeah. And I, I just don't want our because I was looking at some comments and it's like, oh, so much hate. Like, I felt like people felt didn't understand. Um, our criticism of the character and could separate the character because we obviously love Cloris Leachman. And there are several times in the, in this episode alone where she is handing comedy gold. Like she is polishing this turd as best she can. And we're, we're certainly not mad at her or dislike Cloris Leachman. No, I just wanted to make that clear. Like, I mean, come on. No, I, um, I appreciate that you're doing that because we have been very critical of, yeah, her presence, where she is and where she fits in. And it is nothing to do with her. And we we talked about that article that was in TV Guide. I think it was between this season and season nine where even the writers and I think even Lisa Welchel were commenting that, yeah, they were kind of having a little trouble feeling their way to what to do with her and how to write for her, but they figured it out. They, they figured it out. So they fought at the time anyway. But uh, mm-hmm. and next week, she's hilarious in the um, uh, right or wrong episode when she's dealing with Andy's grandmother in the plagiarism episode. She's she's fucking awesome uh, in yes. it. Really, really good Chloris episode next week. This week, eh, not, not even a Chloris episode. We really can't even, you know, compare the two. It's like apples and oranges um so you want to you want to start and want me to start with the nuts and bolts here you ready for me yes i do have well another look at it it's like not not some great not some um not a lot of notes but just like i have a lot like a lot of one-liners and i just also don't want people to think like this has become a shit on the facts of life podcast (sighs) this is not a strong season. There are fun episodes. There are fluffy episodes, but it's just not a great season. And I'm sorry about that because it does hurt to watch it and be like, ugh, ugh, you know, but. And that's not what I ever wanted this podcast to be. I, I didn't. This was, you know, go back to the Eastland years where I'm like, yes, and Blair and Joe are fighting and Natalie's horny. And it's like, you know, Mrs. Garrett is having to play referee and be the shoulder for them to cry on while they work through all their teen angst. But even and, in the like the older episodes when it's like, OK, and then. And then Mrs. Garrett said, she's a wonderful comedian. <laughs> like even when we we're shitting on it, it's just. I mean, there's a love for this show, but uh, I mean, it's not like we want to sit here and shit all over it, but I guess, you know what? Somebody's got to, so <laughs> it might as well be us. Well, I, I think I can safely say that, let the record show your honor, that most of my critiques, 95% of my critiques is writing or critiques are writing and 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 use bad of language English, which clearly I have no mastery of in the moment. Uh, but 
it's this and this and the show Bible thing. I'm just like, uh, you've got, you know, every show, even even The Office, listening to The Office Ladies podcast, they do mention there are inconsistencies. There's little things they they do miss. Of course, that can absolutely happen. But the infractions, the the amount of stuff they are just getting wrong and and contradicting it's just it's beyond to me it's not little things it's big things like the positioning of the attic the livability of the attic the existence of the attic after the house fucking burned down uh, <laughs> well and to and like even for me like next next week when natalie is trying to sell that story and she's like this story has been gnawing at me for years has it? <laughs> yes. I mean, not one mention of it. Like that line shouldn't even be there. Like, it, come up with a different line. It hasn't been gnawing at you for years. It would have been even funnier if she said, this has been gnawing at me for three months or something. You know, anyway. Anyway, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not this episode. That's for next week with the gorgeous and talented Michael Knight. Mm. Yes. That mm. show we've actually already recorded, not unlike this season of The Facts of Life, we are recording and releasing our shows in uh, different orders. And it's uh, fucking with my head a little bit. Oh, like, you, you some, and me both. You that some notes I've got to take out because I'm like, wait, where's the piano? And I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. Okay. Yeah, the piano's not here. <laughs> it's not here yet. Right. Yeah. So let's get talking here, my darling. Season eight, episode 10. Where's Papa, which had an original air date of December 6th of 1986. So the title comes from, and, and we've kind of been lax about this. And when I say we, I mean I. Uh, I usually mean to do a little bit more with the titles, but we always have so much more to talk about within the body of the show. But so many of the titles are either ripped off titles from other things or wordplay on existing titles. And uh, in this case, Where's Papa is a 1970 American black comedy film based on the 1970 novel by Robert Klein. The film stars George Siegel, Ruth Gordon, Ron Liebman, and Trish Van Devere. The plot revolves around the troubled relationship between a lawyer and his senile mother who keeps interfering with his love life. The film was directed by Carl Reiner, whose son Rob Reiner has a role in an early performance. And uh, Robert Klein, who wrote the novel, also wrote the screenplay. So uh, yeah, this is not a comedy that I am aware of that has lived on that I recall ever seeing in rotation on TV or anything. Have you ever heard of this? No, but apparently they remade it on TV in 1979 with Elsa Lancaster. Only nine years later? Mm hmm. Huh. It says TV movie, but that's also what they call Beans of Boston. Maybe they were trying to turn it into a sitcom. And it only uh, that's possible. Very possible. It's one of those that says if you know something about this title, be the first to add a plot. Yeah. But all the characters have the same name from the movie. Mm -hmm. so that's a star studded cast in that movie, Ruth Gordon. And, and George Siegel, I mean, that's there at the top of their games. Uh, it was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award in 71, Best Comedy Adapted from Another Medium. And, uh, oh, here you go. I'm on the Wikipedia page. It's where all of this is coming from, by the way. Oh, I was on IMDb. People, don't forget, send money to Wikipedia. If you ever use it, send them some money for crying out loud. Uh, in 1979, a half-hour television pilot was aired on ABC for a proposed series titled Where's Papa, starring Stephen Keats, Elsa Lanchester, and Alan Miller. The series wasn't picked up. <laughs> That's all it says. So I was right. It says TV movie. You were absolutely right. Yeah. IMDb, but it was just a pilot, just like Beans of Boston. Mm-hmm. You are totes right, spot on. So that's where this uh, title comes from. Now, as far as the writers of this episode, Matthew, this episode is listed with four writers. Lord. Four people worked on this episode. Four credited, not a, you know, of course it goes through the writer's room and people add and fuck with the script as it goes when it gets turned over to committee, but there are four credited writers. Oh of this which is kind of baffling 
and, and writers, not story by, teleplay by. Uh, so the first of them is Mickey Ratone, R-A-T-O-N. This is, uh, I'm assuming it's a woman, a female, Mickey with an I. Uh, this is the only Facts of Life episode written by this person. And uh, they, I'll again assume she, has only five IMDb credits. This show, uh, a 1988 movie or series called Women in Prison. I think it was an episode of a series. And then three episodes of a sitcom called My Wildest Dreams in 1995, which was a show that only lasted six episodes about a working mom having aspirations of becoming a rock star. That's it. Nothing else from Mickey Ratone. Mm. Next on the list of writers is Irma Kalish. This is her first of five episodes that she will write for the show. She's also an executive producer for the series starting this season and will stay with them until the end of the series. Previously, she had written for Gidget, F Troop, Family Affair, My Three Sons, Maud, All in the Family. She had been a writer and an executive producer for Good Times, Too Close for Comfort, Oh Madeline. And in the future, she would write and executive produce episodes of 227 and Valerie. She died this past September at age 96. COVID. <laughs> yeah. Cut down in the prime of her life. God damn you, COVID. And then the other two writers are Phil Doran and Douglas Arango. We've already had them uh, mentioned on the show before. They wrote uh, The Little Chill was the first episode that they co-wrote. And their IMDb pages are pretty much identical. So they are clearly writing partners. Uh, they are also producers this season. And next season will be promoted to supervising producers. Wow. Yeah. Their, their writing talent has clearly gotten them up the <laughs> ranks at the Facts of Life factory. <laughs> Jesus. What's that? What's that? To, you have to be promoted to the highest level of your own incompetence. What's the Dilbert law of that? Yeah thing but anyhow this show was directed by john boab hallelujah don't have to do any research on a director we love john tried and true though there is a moment coming up in this episode where i have a little bit of an issue i i i your love for john boab is one-sided on this podcast because i find him I I take a lot of issues with some of his directorial choices. You actually have. You have, and you've mentioned that before. I only love him just because it means less work for me. When I start okay. to do my notes and I see four writers, immediately I'm like, fuck. Mm. I have to go digging. And uh, as we've seen in the past, I will miss huge, big things when I'm researching the actors and, and all that. And it's, it's just one of those like, okay, I did not sign up for this fucking book report about actors. I just wanted to talk about the episode, but yet I still do it and I still make myself do it. And I'm clearly not well. Some mm. people call that a cry for help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is what the next podcast is going to be called once we finish the facts of life. It's not going to be TV Talkaholics. It's going to be a cry for help or TV Talkaholics colon in need of an intervention or something like that. Oh, that sounds like a porno. <laughs> My colon's in need of an intervention, David. <laughs> so Matthew, this is Present. normally the time when we put our guest on the spot and demand a short synopsis, similar to what you'd find in TV Guide. And in the absence of a guest, it is up to you now. Right. Go ahead, give us the short elevator pitch for the episode. And Matthew, if you do run too long, Matthew is going to judge you. Ready, yeah. set, go. In this episode of The Facts of Life, Tootie gets another shitty review. <laughs> yeah. I thought of you. Oh, my God, did I think of you when that came about? I was like, oh, my God, another one. We're, next week, this this thing with Natalie and this this article that gets plagiarized from her next week, we're, we're coming back to this whole thing of, is Tootie a good actress? And is Natalie a good writer? Did it occur to them to really put some effort into showcasing them to the best of their possible abilities that that was a viable career path for either of them? 
So we start in the fucking store, David. We are in the store. Beverly is minding the store. Thank God, because, you know, it's their business. It's their livelihood. It's how they make a living. So somebody at some point needs to be there, I guess. Yeah. So uh, Andy comes in late. He's he was running late and was supposed to apparently was supposed to relieve Beverly Ann. And uh, she says they had about 70 customers come in. Yeah, I about shit my pants when she said that. We only, <laughs> but the line is, we only had 70 customers. Bitch, that's like a red flag day for you, girl. Yeah. I would think if 70 fucking customers walked in here, you'd be like, we had 70 customers. But no, she yeah, you'd like, think she'd be only- completely frazzled and, and yeah. yeah, tearing her hair out. We or haven't seen 70 customers had- since Edna's Edibles opened. We haven't seen that many. Well, they were there to get her quiche, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. She had 70 customers, but they were all tourists from the Ukraine. They love anything American, David. Mm-hmm. That is true. And that is very of the time because we were just at that point where uh, the, the end of the Cold War, we were trying to make more connections there. And uh the yeah. Russians needed Levi jeans. Remember they that? They did. <laughs> yeah. I did a tour, a concert tour with my college chorus of Soviet Union, Poland, and Estonia in 1990. And they were like, bring jeans, bring extra pairs of jeans. Because if you, and we, we did, we'd run into young people at train stations. They would just walk up, say, are you from America? Are you interested in trade? Meaning, do, do I have anything that you might want that you could trade me because we want American jeans. Like they were so obsessed with American culture. And uh, it's absolutely true. Hot European Eastern man wanted your jeans. I would, I would, <laughs> I would have shown up with 18 suitcases. And been like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you got to trade, Johan? <laughs> uh, you want the jeans? You get a trick or treat, my friend. <laughs> but uh yeah no this is absolutely very very accurate as far as it was of the time and so beverly ann says that she mostly sold them jelly bellies bumper stickers and joe's term paper joe has come running in she had to chase the bus down 20 blocks to get back the term paper that beverly ann sold oh beverly ann you flaky mcflakes a lot well, my first question is, does Peekskill have 20 blocks? <laughs> True. And I mean, not 20 city like, blocks, no. And also, like, I mean, like, how far did it get? Like, going 20 blocks, like, it would have had to stop. I mean, I don't know. It just, again, a kind of a ridiculous 80s sitcom, over-exaggeration, silly joke. Broad, but, cartoonish. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Income Tootie and Blair. Why is Blair dressed like an extra from the Christmas show at the Grand Ole Opry, David? (laughs) She looks like she is dressed to play the star or a snowflake in the Dolly Parton production of fucking White Christmas. Mm -hmm. God love Diana Eden. It's it's wonderful. But Matthew, I'm I'm about to to, I think, blaspheme a little bit. I'm about to make a criticism of a costume. And I hate to do that as Diana Eden is such a close personal friend of ours. I'd love to ask her what was going on there. Remember one of my complaints uh, with her predecessor was they constantly were mixing summer and fall clothing, short sleeve, long sleeve, the colors and the things wouldn't match. Uh, Tootie is in a short sleeve jumper here, shorts, shorts in length, short sleeve. Blair is dressed as she is. Beverly Ann does have on a short sleeve sweater, but a longer skirt. Everybody else is wearing long sleeves. This episode is broadcasting in December, December 6th in Peekskill, New York, meaning it was probably filmed in September, where even in September in the Northeast, you often need a coat. And no one's even wearing a coat in this, I think, until the very, very end when Blair comes in from her quote unquote walk. Is she having, and it's a trench coat. It's not a December winter coat. There should be a foot of snow on the ground. No. So this was very, very weird to me to see Tootie in this little shorty shorts thing. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I'm sure there was a reason for it, Diana. We're on your side, but I'm just having to point it out because I have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so what Blair and Tootie are talking about is a rehearsal that they have just come from. And Blair is saying to Tootie, well, you needed to project more. Does she, Matthew? Does Tootie need to project more? Is that a note you would ever give to Tootie? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, um, it's like when you go to see a terrible show and people are like, what do you do you think? And you're like, um, the set was good. Mm -hmm. It's like, she had to find something to like, I, I mean, I can't. Okay. Yeah. You need to project more. How about that? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, mm, Not no, really a problem no. for Tootie or for Kim Fields, yeah. but what they are doing here is that Tootie, pushes back saying, you know, Blair, just because your father is donating a theater to the college doesn't mean you get to have a say in artistically what's going on. And Blair's like, of course it does. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Beverly Ann says, oh, Blair's dad, he called earlier and he was so charming. She's about to flood her basement, I think. Beverly Ann talking about David Warner. She's like, <laughs> but then she says it took him almost the entire phone call to realize it, I wasn't Edna. He thought he was talking to Mrs. Garrett. And a great delivery as she walks off going, ah. <laughs> just that last like, ah. mm -hmm. <laughs> she walked off, gets one more laugh. Fucking she's brilliant. Genius. Oh, yes. So then in comes Natalie with a dozen roses for Blair. And she's thinking, oh, it must be from somebody to do with the college because they're so happy about this theater donation thing. And instead, they're actually from the dad. They're from David saying urgent problem must cancel. Be a good Warner and take my place. Blair shrugs, says, ah, well, she's used to it. When there's a job to be done, a Warner does the job. You notice I didn't quite get out the B at the end of the word job. The weirdest of weird abrupt dissolves happens and gets us to the next scene, which is in the dining room the next morning. Did you notice that? Yes. And I went back and watched the I even watched the Daily Motion version after I watched it on the on the um dvds just to see if it was the same way and it was exactly the same way and that yeah, i yeah. i have i have most awkward edit ever and all i can think of because of what comes up later is they had to have cut out somewhere natalie mentioning that she was going to go for an interview at the paper because she comes in later on and 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 um beverly ann goes did you get the job and i'm like what job yeah Exactly. There's literally no mention of it. I watched the episode three fucking times trying to find like, where did they mention that she was going for an interview? But yeah, so mm -hmm. um, I did the same thing looking through the um, the transcript at the subs like scripts, uh, yeah. because that's a transcript of the DVD. And uh, clearly this was the the broadcast version. The full version was running long and they didn't want to cut something else out. Even though for <laughs> for the, the syndicated version, they did manage to make little trims and snips and nips and tucks here and there that are perfectly fine. But yeah, this was clearly a we've got to cut something or we can't we can't turn it into the network to be shown. So, yeah, very abrupt. There was another one uh, in an earlier season. I want to say it was at the Eastland School and Blair like raised her glass and let's toast was it the teacher going on for the next job when Joe was um, when Joe was making friends with that lesbianic teacher? And we she found out go out to another job. She died, David. Well, well no, no. She she said she was leaving. Oh, and yeah. the girls made the assumption that she was leaving it for a better paying job when, in fact, she had the cancer. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was a scene where Blair said, well, let's make a toast. And it just went to the next thing. Like it was mid-sentence. I think this is the second weirdest. And it, clearly it doesn't happen often where they are just so fucking hard pressed to get the damn thing <laughs> in on time and at the required length. So yeah, we are here in the dining room. First thing I noticed, what is that bench doing there? <laughs> Why is the bench there? 
we have had the piano for the last five episodes ever since Tootie went on her Broadway audition where Beverly Ann was helping her practice and all that. It's like, why have we had five weeks of piano? And I bid a very fond adieu to that ugly ass big gray bench. And now it's back. What the shit? Yeah. It's like a nightmare haunting you, your hatred of giant benches. (sighs) I think... I think a giant bench killed my dad in another life or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I did look though, and I'll be talking about this next week too. But yes, this episode, episode 10 and episode 11 were actually filmed prior to what we know as episode five off-Broadway Baby. So next week, we will be bringing in the piano for the first time, even though we have seen it the last five weeks and now it's miraculously gone it's very 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 weird anyway Blair and Natalie are at the breakfast table Natalie's hair is in rollers uh we can you know reverse engineer that her hair is in rollers because she wants to look good for the interview that we don't know she's going on but not the type of rollers that are going to give her the perm that she ends up with which is interesting to me yeah okay Very weird. Joe and Tootie are running late. So they're just running down the stairs and dashing out. Um, And while they're on their way, grabbing their stuff. And when I say stuff, there is not a coat involved in any of their stuff. uh, Blair grabs the morning paper. And as she opens it up, we see the headline, David Warner indicted with a photograph. Biggest headline in peak skill. I mean, David David Warner has been indicted. She who pays for the paper gets the paper. <laughs> it's like the headline runs from edge to edge in big black letters, like an eight by 10 headshot of Nicholas Coster. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is big. I mean, okay, maybe because he's donating the theater to this local college. I mean, we've seen a slow day here with the Orlando Sentinel where I've been surprised by how big a seemingly little headline has turned out but uh, i'm with you it was like wow that was my only justification was maybe because it happened right on the day that they're gonna dedicate this um this theater in his name in this town but mm-hmm. even still i just uh, <laughs> i don't I, anyway so that bothered me this like this is the i can see it maybe being on a headline in like new york since he's so important in new york or something but like i was like in peak scale like i just can't imagine that being <laughs> the big news in in peak skill i agree <laughs> yes i so, don't work at the peak skill press and we'll find out later neither does natalie <laughs> <laughs> So Blair, when she realizes the headline is there, the others see it first. There's kind of a bit of, uh, uh, like they all can see it, but Blair can't. And she's like, what? So then when she looks at it, Blair kind of freezes. She does that thing that no human has ever done in their entire life, where they are just struck, unable to speak, unable to respond to the people talking to their face. Uh, And this is where I have a directorial issue. The weirdestly framed shot where it's the camera i think it's like the middle camera so it's looking to the left at the dining room table we have the back of natalie's head we have blair holding the paper in front of her face so we can't see blair and we can't see natalie but joe and beverly ann are standing and we can see them we can see joe in profile looking at blair beverly ann is kind of facing us and it's like blair What's Blair, you know, talk to us. What's going on? Well, we don't know. We can't see because we can't see her face. And then Natalie, back to the camera, says she's in shock. It's like, uh, how do you know? I can't see her face, bitch. I know you can't. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And uh, anyway. but, well, we have to see. We have to watch Beverly Ann's scene here. And where I mean. When she slaps Blair across the face, God, I was funny. Laughed out loud because (laughs) of the slap. Not only the slap being so ridiculously far from her face, like that it was like she completely missed, 
but the fact that she immediately face to face smudges her face up again <laughs> like she's holding her and oh i laughed so hard so that funny was so good i had to look at it twice i'm like do do they think that we think she slapped Blair across the face, or did she just slap the paper out of her hand to startle her? Um, I don't know, but yeah, but the the immediate clutch of I'm like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry is so God, just Cloris crush crushes it. <sighs> so what the article says is that he's accused of insider trading, um, and God bless. I don't know if the show knew that that's actually a thing. I would have thought that they would have come up with something made up or preposterous, but we know since then that that's what Martha Stewart went to prison for was insider trading, trading stocks with knowing something about the company that the public doesn't. That's that's against the law, kids. Um, so Blair says, my father would never do anything like that. Like she's pretty sure his name will be cleared and and says, and clearly with this, he's not here for the theater dedication because it's to protect me, her, Blair. So she's going to be giving the speech in his place. And she quickly runs out and says, if anybody calls, I'll be at my father's place in the city. So she's running down to New York. You've missed two very important things. First of all, that, well, one important thing, Beverly Ann reading the article out loud was a masterclass in comedy when she goes, oh my God. What? What? It's supposed to rain today. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> just such a throwaway line that she milks for every fucking syllable of it. Yes. But then she said, I bet Geraldo Rivera is behind this. Yeah, I forgot that. Yes. Which I don't know if you know, this was in December of 86. It was in April, April 21st, 1986. The mystery of Al Capone's vault was oh. was aired. So Geraldo was still big news for making like no news. You know what? Like mm. making up stories and stuff. Um, like he lost his job with ABC <laughs> because of that. But um, the mystery mm. of Al Capone's vault. Thirty million people watched that. And um, and they opened it and it was fucking it, empty. It was okay. nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think right. I do remember my parents watching it. And I think I even watched it for a bit, but it was like, you know, a two hour special. Yeah. And it's like, how do you milk two hours with, okay, we're going to get a crowbar, pry, and let's look inside. Like mm. the amount of padding that was there, all the buildup. And it's like, get on with it for fuck's sake. Yeah. I remember just being kind of bored by it. And, and then to discover it was like, and there was nothing there. It was just all of this smoke and mirrors and pomp and circumstance, sound and fury signifying nothing. But yes, Blair, and this made me kind of whimsical a little bit, David, I know I use that term a lot, but Blair turns to everybody and goes, if anyone calls, I'll be at my father's place in the city. Do you remember what it was like to be literally unavailable? Mm, like she's gonna go- and there's not going to be any way to get in touch with her for the next, what, two hours while she's, uh, I mean, uh, honestly, it's just, it, that's the first thing that came into my head. If anybody calls, I'll be at my father's place in the city. It's like, oh, they're going to have to like work to get in, in contact with her. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. And then it's going to be, of course, you know, the number, if, if anyone important calls, give them the phone number, the idea of here's another random phone number where you're calling a stranger saying, hi, uh, I'm looking for Blair Warner. Is she there? And, you know, it is it is bizarre. Is this before Blair walks out that her and Tootie are once again uncomfortably close to each other? I think so. In matter of fact, I said Joe was standing at the table. I think it was Tootie, actually, who was standing at the table in that weird, clumpy, awkward shot. Yeah. And this, yeah. is, this is where she says to him, she goes, I used to be afraid of the of the boogeyman. And my daddy used to say, Angel, we uh, honey, we own the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was just like, Jesus, why are they so their elbows were touching? They were she was standing so close to them. And I again, I will say it again, David, I love you. But if I were telling a story and I turned to my right and you were that close, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just. 
and that's not because of pandemic two years of <laughs> six feet apart. Like just, you know, it's no, like, you're, you're right. It's weird. It's the whole thing of, you know, the golden girls, all three of them sitting on the same fucking couch, the couch facing huge, the same direction in that fucking huge house. <laughs> and all three of them are on the couch. I ugh, <laughs> And that tiny couch. It's not a big couch either. It's I like, wouldn't sit on the couch if my mother were on the couch. I would be like, well, where's the chair? You know, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so I, I just was like, oh, thanks, John Bob. We couldn't have pulled that camera back a little bit to put maybe six inches. They look like they're about to make out, for God's sake. <laughs> Jesus. So that's my complaint about the directorial, the directorial choices in that scene. Okay. Next scene, we're still in the living room. Tootie is on the phone and she's talking to someone about the play she's appearing in and trying to learn to juggle. And then we see her attempt to learn to juggle. And of course she mixes it up. She, she screws it up and drops apples and stuff. And whoa, and this is something she's expected to do in the play that is happening that night. Well, we have established, David, that Tootie, after her Broadway audition, obviously learned how to be better prepared for things. And she's obviously putting the footwork in <laughs> or fucking not. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. But that's a sort of a separate little subplot of her trying to learn to juggle for this role that she's performing. Uh, Joe comes in, says that there's gossip around the school. It's, you know, about Blair's dad. It's running rampant. I can't tell you, Matthew, how many times when I was at college, uh, when a donor for the college had a potential stock trading scandal, I'm telling you, it spread like wildfire. Well, was it the front page of the local newspaper? <laughs> the University of Massachusetts Collegian? I don't know. I don't remember. See, I would have accepted that if it was the Langley, the Langley Journal or whatever the, the fuck. The Langleyan. Yes. If it had been the Langleyan. Yes. Yeah, I would have totes. accepted that. But the fact that it was the Peekskill Press, it was their front page. I was like, okay, somebody's nope. got to be having like a, like a hot dog sale or something in Peekskill that would get higher more attention than that but okay and this is where natalie comes in and we have the did you get the job and she's like no i didn't it was at the peak scope press and they wanted her to write an article about blair's dad and they were all excited that she actually knew blair and figured she'd be able to get some type of insider scoop on the story and she dead refused and that's you know that's how faithful a friend natalie is but for all the shit you give her for being unethical and all, all the shit we've given her in the past for making ethically challenged choices, I thought, well, good for her. I want to see what David has to say about that. Good for her, Natalie. Well, the next tag is she says, I wouldn't do that. And they were like, oh, good. And she says, especially at the price they offered. <laughs> yes, you were waiting for that. that. That's yeah. what you were waiting for. Oh, good old Natalie. She can be bought. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's definitely not a subliminal statement about her Jewishness. No, I'm sure that's not in anybody's mind in that writer's room. Oh, yeah. So then Blair comes in. She saw her dad. He looks terrible. And so Joe and she have a nice little interesting moment where she says, but he should be okay. He's got good lawyers. And Joe says, huh, wish my dad had a good lawyer. And she also, I saw my dad and then I bought him a tie after I saw him and brought it here. <laughs> yeah. Like on the way home after seeing him, I was so upset. I needed to go shopping to make me feel better to buy something for him. Wouldn't it have been funnier <laughs> if she had walked in with 87 bags from like Neiman Marcus or whatever and been like, oh, I thought you went to see your dad. I did. This is just to make me feel better. Like, yeah. Or something. But I just was like, I bought him a tie. Well, uh, um, because I know whenever I go to somebody's house, whenever I leave, I think, you know, I'm going to get them a present and take it home with me. <laughs> and maybe the next time I see them, I will hand it to them. But I, that was just weird to me that she bought him a tie after she saw him and didn't take it to him, whatever. Well, maybe what they're thinking is that the next scene starts with 
uh, her in the bedroom packing her bags because at this point now she's planning an extended trip to New York to stay with her dad through the trial. And she's basically planning to leave right after the play that night. So she's getting ready. Maybe that was her intent was when I go back, mm-hmm. like he, he was so bad. He needed a fucking tie to make him feel better. And I'm going to be the one to give it to him. Okay. Um, but uh, that believe me, I, I hate to ever be able to justify shit. I, I much rather be angry at the episode, you know, <laughs> but um, she is nice and supportive of Tootie. I don't want to miss her opening night. It's really nice. Uh, Blair does mention she's prepared basically to withdraw from school if necessary, if this trial drags on. And then Joe comes in and uh, Joe is wearing, uh, my note says, again, seasons. Joe is wearing a short sleeve man shirt buttoned all the way up to the collar and it, it looks like a summer shirt that a dude would wear. She's also got her hair pulled back in her newer mullet ponytail do, which looks mm. very different from the ponytail she had a few seasons ago. It's uh, not the most flattering of hairstyles. And again, everyone else, including Judy, they all have come basically to sort of this, you know, autumn, possibly winter wear with longer sleeves and longer skirts. But now Joe is in a short sleeve shirt and it's like, what, what is happening? Joe has that gigantic overcoat bathrobe thing that we've had her in so many times to, to have her in layers. I, and Diana, again, I'm so sorry that I'm questioning you, but I'm questioning you. And still, I know it's TV, but still just ridiculously formal for sitting around the house. Mm-hmm. Just ridiculously formal, especially for um, us a motorcycle riding um, tomboy like her to be sitting yeah. in, in a silk or rayon suit. Um, around, yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 And it is, it does look like a kind of rayon shirt. I'm just going to say it. Natalie is in a sweater, a knit sweater. Tootie is wearing a sweater and skirt set that match with a beret. We know how much Matthew loves it when Tootie wears hats inside. <laughs> And the scarf over her shoulder, that thing that makes a 20-year-old look like she's 45. So well, I mean, I get got- it. They're getting ready to go to the theater at this point, right? So maybe maybe we can justify it that way, that she's getting oh. ready to go to the theater. But she is performing. Why would I mean, I guess it's what you wear after for the for the after party or whatever. But I don't get dressed up. I don't put on a suit before I go to the theater to perform. Uh, you know, you go typically you go in your grungies because, you know, you're going to be changing into something else. But no, you're probably right. You are right. So Joe comes in with the unwelcome news that one, they've canceled the opening ceremonies. So she won't need to give the speech. They basically don't want it. They're just going to do the play and kind of pretend like the other shit isn't going on. And number two, worst of all, her dad has pleaded guilty in exchange for a suspended sentence. Blair is shocked. Who called her to tell her all of this about the theater and the dad's guilty verdict? The same person that made Joe tell Natalie she was fired from being the editor of the Eastland School paper when it's like, yeah, why is Joe the messenger here? But did she say? She didn't say who. She just said they've canceled. But so he's what, you know, the, the good thing is later in the scene, when Blair finally talks to her dad, she says, you're, you're pleading guilty. Why didn't you tell me that? Like, at least she asks him, because it is weird. It's like, why is Blair finding out on the street? Why wouldn't he have said to her, okay, here's what I'm planning to do. Um, but anyway, Blair is shocked. The whole room falls silent and we fade to black and go to commercial with this shocking news that Blair's dad is pleading guilty. Hmm. So then at the beginning of act two of this episode, we have a little bit that's cut from syndication. It's in the dining room. And they say that Blair has been locked in her room for over an hour. And they're like, what do we do? We need to get going to the theater. Tootie's performing, but they don't know if they're comfortable leaving her there alone. And then um, 
uh, Blair does come down the stairs and that's where we start in the syndicated version. And she says, no, guys, go, don't stay here on my account. I'm fine. And then, the, but, but she's not going. She's just going to stay at home and be upset. I Well, I think her dad's name is on the theater. They've canceled the ceremony. So I think she's like, you know, I should just, I, yeah, maybe, maybe they don't need to see a Warner there tonight. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, right. You're totally right. And she didn't want to field questions. She knew if she'd gone there, people would have been like, well, like it would have been Guilty. A, a, a new, it would have been a, a flurry of, of questions from the peak skill press. They would have been <laughs> outside. The paparazzi would have been following her, all the flashes and all that. Yeah. So the phone rings and it is Mr. Warner. We have another great Cloris Leachman moment where she says, Blair, your father's on the phone. She says, tell him I went out. And then she says, I will not lie. She says, fine, tell him I don't want to talk to him. And she goes, Blair went out. Genius, perfect, impeccably timed comically. Cloris Leachman is the shizzle. Yes. And we're hip and young and we use words like shizzle like the kids. Or are yes. using so, so the kids that listen to this podcast <laughs> they know we speak their language we're like a disney film we speak these kids languages beverly ann does ask her do you think you might change your mind tomorrow and blair says i doubt it i don't want to have anything to do with him so they all leave but joe says um i you guys go i'll be right out there i gotta i gotta do something and then this next scene, God, I love, love, love this next scene where we get a moment alone with Blair and Joe. I can't wait to hear the David Almeida interpretation of this scene. Go ahead. Well, the scene, and we've done this before, where uh, they did this to Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett, we know what you're going to tell us. You're going to tell us A, B, C, D, E. And she says, oh, good. It's good to know I'm rubbing off on you. Well, in this, Blair does this to Joe. Joe, I know what you're going to tell me. He's still my father and he needs me now. And Joe's like, mm -hmm, okay. And she, in, and she adds, and he has enough people judging him without adding me to the list. Yep, that's true. And I need to grow up and stop acting like a pampered brat. And Joe's like, yep, you're, you're going strong here, girl. Yeah, A+. plus. And then she does turn to Joe and say, yeah, well, don't forget, when your father went to jail, you didn't even want to visit him. And Joe says, I was a kid, Blair. You're an adult. And I mean, bam, that was a gut punch. And she's right. And then this beautiful, tender moment where Blair says, how did you get over it? And Joe says, who says I got over it? Mm. Oh, oh. <laughs> magnificent. And the tail end of it is as Joe leaves, she does say, oh, and by the way, the one thing that you didn't get that I was going to say, if you were in trouble, do you think your dad would turn his back on you? And then out she goes. I mean, what did you think? Are you, do you agree with me or? Um... I mean, I, okay. Yep. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel that emotionally connected to that scene. Oh, like, wow. So, I mean, I guess maybe, sure. Okay. Yep. I wasn't mad at it. I didn't think, oh, that's a terrible scene. I thought, oh, when are they going to kiss? I, I was waiting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to give them the, the girlfriends, the, you know, best friends who won't admit they're best friends kind of a thing. It's just, I, these, we haven't had a good Blair and Joe bonding moment since the, you know, so where have you been? None of your business. Yeah. Selling her motorcycle. I mean, this this was really a beautiful thing to add to the file of their friendship. Yeah. So then the next scene is at the store. Beverly Ann is minding the store. Tootie is nervous because she's waiting for the review in the paper. You know how important those reviews in the local papers of your college productions, you know, how those can make or break your self-esteem. Uh, 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 okay. Yep. Again, is is this going in the peak scale press? Does, does does the local city newspaper review college productions of stuff, or would that be a Langlian kind of thing? 
Because again, you could have, she could have been like, oh, the whole paper is full of stuff about David Warner. Where's my play? Where's my review? If it was the Langley, but like, I've never read a review of a UCF college production of anything in the Orlando Sentinel, I don't think. But I think I have. And and the Odd Rollins play, not everything in their season, but I think occasionally they have done. All right. So the paper does arrive and it's one of those, I can't read it, you read it. And as Beverly Ann reads the review out loud, she says, last night's performance of Make Mine Macaroni. That's the name of the play Tootie was in, was called Make Mine Macaroni. Really? Why, why didn't they just say Booger the musical? Like, why are the, what, why, <laughs> why do a weird, absurdist, goofy ass title if we're trying to take Tootie seriously? If she is taking herself so fucking seriously as an actress, Ugh, anyway, and anyhow, um, and, and the review is one of those great reviews where it says, and sensational isn't the word for it. Abominable is the word. The cast was uniformly inadequate. And so it's like, oh, no, it's terrible. Except for one standout, Tootie Ramsey. And I do have a note here for the writers, all four of them. What she reads is, and this is verbatim from the script, Ms. Ramsey is a remarkable comedy juggler. She was so inept, it couldn't have been on purpose. So it, it couldn't have been on purpose, meaning it had to be accidental. She was so inept, it had to be accidental. I, I wrote down, who wrote this review? Yeah. I think they I think they think there's a joke there, but they're expressing it the wrong way. I think the joke is supposed to be that uh, Ms. Ramsey is a remarkable comedic actress. Her attempts to juggle and failing so miserably were the stuff of comedy gold. The idea that the critic assumes her incapability to juggle was a conscious choice when we know Tootie just can't fucking juggle. Right. That would have been where the joke is, where she could have, and then have her say, oh my God, that's great. I got a good review, but they think I would, hmm, did, so did, did they like me for the wrong reasons or the right? And then say, Tootie, take the fucking review. That I think would have been better. I really think it just got a little bit muddy there. Well, Natalie's response is about how she dropped all the eggs on the, on the floor. Yeah. And even though she was practicing with apples, why you wouldn't just practice with fucking balls. But anyway, um, yellow, Natalie says, well, so much for yellow waxy buildup. Oh, that's right. So then Joe comes in, says that Blair has gone for a walk. She's still upset and needs time to think or whatever. Uh, And then in comes Blair's dad. Nicholas Coster as David Warner. Woof. He is an attractive man. We've said that before. You have said, I believe he could get it. Matthew. He could give me whatever he, if I would, I would let him give me COVID. <laughs> wow. So handsome and debonair and he's so charming. And mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's so at ease in this part. He's so good in this part. He's just so good. I just, oh, I, I couldn't be in the same room with him. I'd be, I'd turn into a little girl. Like, I mean, <laughs> like I'm probably going to do when we um, talk to Michael Knight next week. What? Anyway. <laughs> well, this is his third of five appearances as David Warner, Blair's dad, it's it's just like um, Marge Doucet, just like Mitzi Hogue, where you think they were on the show more often than they were because they make such an impact. Yeah. And, you know, Mitzi Hogue's obituary was like Facts of Life star. Mitzi Hogue did it 70, whatever. It's like she she was on three episodes. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Three out of 201. But uh, yeah, his last appearance was season six, episode 24. It's Lonely at the Top. That's when Mrs. Garrett was in town and Blair was left in charge of the bakery and she became a big pain in the ass. And 
at the end, remember, it was like, I'm going to take a position at a rival company because I don't want favoritism. And it's like, we were like, when have you ever worked for your dad's company? All the talk about her allegedly having these executive roles and positions handed to her over summer breaks or whatever. It's anyway, it was always very, very questionable. Um, so uh, he asks, of course, about Blair and they're like, uh, she's out for a walk, but, uh, and he does, he gets right to it. He says, she doesn't want to see me, does she? And so they're like, well, we're not going to worry about that. Beverly Ann says, uh, maybe we could have some coffee while we wait for her. And Beverly Ann takes him by the hand and brings him back into the house. Is that a sitcom trope, David? Have you ever taken someone by the hand in your own house to lead them into another room? I don't even think it's a sitcom trope. I think it's just a weird thing that happens here and now. That's, I mean, she literally has only talked to him on the phone twice. I mean, I'm sure it's Cloris did that in rehearsal and they said, yeah, sure. No need to not do that. But because Cloris is so smart as an actress thinking, well, I'm playing that I am fucking into this guy, that his voice on the phone, like, he, he sounded good on the phone and that is what walked in. Uh-huh. So she's reacting the way you would. I mean, I, I would have jumped into his arms for God's sake, but <laughs> I would have accidentally dropped something on the floor and been like, well, I'm so sorry. My butt mm-hmm. is right up against your crotchal region, Mr. Warner. <laughs> I love the word crotchal. That is such a beautiful word. That's what I'm going to name my uh, theater company when I win the lottery and open mine. It's going to be called the Crotchel Theater. Or just call it the Crotch for short. You know what? Oh, I'm in a show over at the Crotch. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can have a little black box theater called the Taint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm just doing a cabaret. It's not, it's not in the Crotchel. It's in the Taint. <laughs> it's not in the Crotch. It's in the Taint offensive um i do love their little talk though while they're having coffee like beverly ann and again it's like you just get to watch two pros and i think i don't think we appreciate that enough when you see two pros like this just having a very perfectly lovely scene between between beverly ann and um my husband so <laughs> and it doesn't really do much it's just kind of there but it's you know her saying i haven't been here long i don't have any children i like to pretend these girls are my daughters uh maybe it's not my place but i think at this point the next move is blair's so a little bit it's kind of like maybe you shouldn't have come here like you know but but granted she won't take the phone calls and he's her dad and supports her hello uh, but anyhow, Blair arrives. Blair comes home in a trench coat, N- not a winter coat, a trench coat, because she was out walking. Uh, very weird. Uh, no one else has worn a coat in this entire episode. Uh, Beverly Ann smartly clears out, and now we're just left with this lovely scene between Blair and her dad. Beautifully done. God, the two of them, they've, they've worked so well together in the past. And I'm going to say this, much like I said on the episode, um, Daddy's Girls, David. Season four, episode eight. As soon as the final scene started between him and Blair, I said, and I quote, I have no more notes because the rest of this fucking episode is perfect. It is. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. And it's just the two of them going at it lisa welchel is a formidable actress and holds her own with marge to say with with you know uh with nicholas coster these are veteran professional actors and they are the chemistry is so good the casting was so well done here i believe that he is her father Mm -hmm. and i believe the way she looks at him the way he looks at her the way he calls her princess I just, yeah. I can't, I, it, her, him and Marge are just probably my two, two of my favorite things about this whole series, him and Fudge. 
Marge, not Fudge, dear. Okay. Yeah. But and and I believe that they would have been married at one point. And I don't think they ever are in an episode together. And yet they both are able to play the, the nuances and the backstory. They're so damn good. But what happens is it's they're in an episode together coming up when they graduate college. Oh, okay. But at this point, yet we have not, because remember, he had to bail on her high school graduation. Yeah. So that's still to come. We have at this point not seen them together. Oh, um, I can't wait. Me too. I'm excited. See some fucking scenery together. <laughs> yes. So the beauty of this scene is that Blair basically says she's kind of worked it out. And she has lines like, I've always known you weren't the ideal father, but that didn't keep me from wishing you could be. When I got in trouble, you never deserted me. You never would. And I've accepted the fact that you are the father you are, and that's ideal enough for me, which is really beautiful. And then he gets to say after this, I am so happy to hear you say that because he reveals to her he didn't do the insider trading thing with the stock, it was her grandfather, his father, who had also been a guy who was rich, who traded stocks. And as he puts it, he was a whiz at investing, but it was a different time. After he retired, he was so bored, he decided he wanted to get back into the game one last time and didn't realize the rules had changed and he broke the law. So, He's 87 years old. And he said, I can't see him going through a trial. Even if he were to get a suspended sentence, it probably would have killed him. And so Blair realizes, oh my God, you're fucking taking the fall for grandpa, for your father. And this uh, is not to be confused with the um, grandfather that donated the library to Eastland. (laughs) That was part of the KKK. This is a different grandpa. Well, it is because yeah. the other one was that the other one was Marge Doucet's dad. We've already uh, we've already established that Carlton Blair, Carlton Blair. So the idea is that Blair would have been Monica's maiden name and that she married David Warner. And what are they going to name their child? Blair. I mean, I love that to me is beautiful. So, yes. So, yeah, Blair has one grandfather, KKK, the other grandfather, criminal investor. Yep. Just checking the boxes here, kids. <laughs> so then in response to this, uh, so, so what I'm not certain is they say that he pleaded guilty for a suspended sentence. So is there still not going to, I guess there's not going to be a court case. Right. So, that, okay, so Blair, that's right. Blair was packing up her bags for an extended stay, assuming it was going to be a long drawn out court thing. But Joe coming in and telling her he's pleaded guilty, meaning you don't got to go. This is done, but it was for a suspended sentence. So he'll, you know, have to be on probation, assuming he won't serve any time time. But uh, Blair then does a little bit of a sitcom trope here. Would you like to hear the speech that I was going to say last night before the, the show at the theater? And he's like, sure. So then she goes into just stuff about how David Warner is a man I'm proud to call my father. Like she was already there. And And it's sitcom tropey, David. It's sitcom tropey, David. But he looks at her like she is the most important thing in his life. And I was on board. So I agreed. Zero notes from the moment he walked in, other than I would do horrible things to him. <laughs> he is still alive, you know. Nicholas Coster is know. still alive and still working. He is 88 years old. Most recently, he appeared in American Crime Story, the uh, Linda Tripp, Monica Lewinsky series, which I think is still ongoing, or I, I think it's in the process of dropping right now. If not, it was very recent. With, yeah, uh, it's over with. The good thing is the speech doesn't go on too long. But yes, it is a lovely moment where she basically has already, it's lovely because she's already come to a point of acceptance of loving him unconditionally. It's not in response to him saying, I'm going to take the fall for my own father. She got there without that information. 
with without the insider information. I mean, you see what I did there? <laughs> you should run for sitcoms. <laughs> so last words of the episode, Blair says, Daddy, I am more proud of you than ever. If you can love your father that much, how could I love you any less? And he says, I love you too, princess. And they hug, freeze frame, roll credits. I agree with you. That final scene is really perfect. He's just so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. He's just so good. And Lisa is so good They're with both. Him. Both so good. They made each other better. It's great because when you see good actors that can build off of each other's energy and and the challenge of having to play the backstory. We know so much about Blair's childhood, so much about her disappointment in her parents getting divorced, how it fucked up her relationship with Cliff, with the whole thing of, you know, men not sticking around in her life and in her world. And uh, w- with her parade of stepfathers and, and all that. And, and that is all there. It's all here. The writers got it right as far as they did put a little bit of it in there. And then the actors just took it and hit it out of the park. Bravo. Still have a problem with that damn short sleeve uh, onesie that Tootie was wearing at the beginning, though. Can't, <laughs> can't get past that. But this scene was perfect. Yeah. Yes. Oh, God, David, I've got to go clean up my yellow waxy buildup, <laughs> which was the, which was the name I danced <clears throat> under. Did you? <laughs> yellow <laughs> waxy buildup. Um, that's it. Well, like I said, I'm not going to record a bumper. So we're just going to end this all by saying this was a great show. And next week we've got season eight, episode 11, Right and Wrong. Uh, That's uh, original air date, December 13th of 86. And our friend Michael Knight is going to be joining us. Oh, speaking of men, I would let do horrible, horrible things to me. Mm -hmm. Is he? Oh, he is so. It's a good one. No, he's not an unattractive man. I'm going to try to remain professional. (laughs) Yeah, try. But uh, yes, if you want to watch the episode ahead of time, you know it is always available at dailymotion.com. I've got to find that user. I need to write them a private note. Stargazer. That's the user on dailymotion.com who has posted all the episodes and they haven't been pulled down by the syndicate or by the internet police. I don't know who they are, but God bless them for having put them up there that we can access them. That's the only place we can consistently send people and know that they're not going to be taken away. God, famous last words. I shouldn't have said anything. It's probably going to be gone now. But anyway, the links will be in this episode's show notes and on the webpage as well. So that's it. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this week's show. On behalf of me and Matthew, remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.